Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Today, we get to hear from a former rugby player who has turned school leader from New Zealand. So I just love listening to Sean talk about the way he organizes education, the way he thinks about it, the way he thinks about using technology and using it well. And we were having a conversation uh, this past summer when we were traveling around visiting schools all over Australia. And as we were talking, I was like, we've got to get some of this recorded because I think there's a lot of good wisdom that we can take from our friends in New Zealand because there's a lot of good work that they're doing there. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sean Brooker. Today, we have a good friend from New Zealand, uh, Sean Brooker, who is doing some amazing work with schools there. But before we jump into the work he's doing, we've got to get a little bit of context on how he got into education and what he did before his time as an educator. So, Sean, welcome in and give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, yeah, in New Zealand, uh, obviously, I was, bo- I was born here. Uh, I had an opportunity to teach overseas in different places. But the, the journey into Christian ed or into education as a whole was really built around I worked at youth camps growing up and, and I was spending my holiday there and I just really loved uh, seeing kids push themselves into a place that they hadn't been before or didn't think they could do and, and, and those aha moments and those eureka moments. Uh, that was really the motivation, very selfish. I like to see people succeed um, and it was about that euphoria that it brings. My my background really going through high school. I run. I, I won the scholarship for accounting. I was a, a very accounting maths type person, um, but I could never see myself sitting behind a computer for my whole life um, and just dealing with numbers. I, I really enjoyed that people thing. So the the push was really. I uh, went to Bible college. Still didn't know what to do. Loved working with kids, and the closest I could get to that was to be a teacher. And and hence, uh, here I am today. Love it. And in before your career, in between accounting and being an educator, you also had uh, a, quite a sporting career. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, just um, New Zealand, what as big as rugby. So we, I grew up playing rugby, played for some provincial teams, um, managed to take, and education is really good. I took education overseas with me, got to play England, uh, overseas in England, uh, down in uh, Gillingham and Kent. Um, take that rugby uh, and volleyball has been something that I've been very interested in over the years and also coached a number of sports, um, netball being one of them as well as rugby and the likes. I love that we're talking to a rugby educator uh, because we don't get a lot of that in the US, but it was great to meet you in Australia and hear about some of that and the opportunities that opened up. I'm a huge fan of rugby and volleyball. I've yet to 
I, I have issues with netball given the uh, finishing play. Mm. It's just it's very anticlimactic. The best part of netball seems to be the way you move the ball up the court, and then once you actually get to shooting, when you have to back away and they stand flat footed and shoot, mm. it's just not a very exciting finish. So you'll have to sell me on netball someday. But uh, rugby and volleyball, I'm sold. So that's not really what we're here to talk about. But what I why I wanted to get you on is I love the way you think about engaging students and as an education mm-hmm. leader now in the role you're in, you can give the uh, people listening a little bit of your role. That would be great to know what exactly you do now. You've systematized engaging students through meaningful lessons uh, where you have this article that I was just reading on flatlined achievement time, that kind of dead time in classes and ways you've, you've seen technology used, lesson planning used. You have some of the best tools I've seen for helping teachers do that work better. So talk a little bit about your role and where you've seen some of this systematizing of deeper engagement for students. Yeah, thanks, John. The, yeah, lot, lots of systems. I guess the idea is to create easy frameworks for teachers to operate in and that, that lead to really meaningful engagement for the students. And we know that if our students are engaged in a task, that a lot of the other stuff falls away. Um, but meaningful engagement is quite different to just engagement. And the article you were talking around, around schools having too much fat, is really just an observation of of all the times that we have in school where we're doing stuff, but it doesn't actually lead towards meaningful achievement. It's 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 busy time. It's doing things that keep the kids quiet. Um, it's coming late to the class. It's um, using technology poorly. It's um, it's the whole idea of of running running a class in an optimal place where you know that every moment of the day the students are engaged in something that is leading towards something meaningful as opposed to just keeping them busy you know developing some processes and that is super important well i love your differentiation between engagement and meaningful engagement so on the continuum from completely disengaged and apathetic to engage in appearing to be doing something maybe that's compliance driven to deeply tapping into curiosity and to problem solving and allowing students to create that to me is a continuum that we need to think more about. So are there any tools that you've found or any pieces of technology that you've seen or systems you put in place uh, in your role leading in a network of Christian schools in New Zealand that you feel like are really getting some good traction that you're seeing meaningful differences in the kind of engagement you're seeing with students? This year we've implemented something which I think as as teachers that are seasoned um, are things that we used to do naturally, but it doesn't seem to come as naturally anymore. So we've created um, what we call a game plan. And the the game plan has uh, a couple of factors. So you, you you have a unit ahead of you. You know that you're teaching around space or you're teaching around um, Egyptian history or whatever it might be. And the game plan identifies all the students that are at risk of not engaging meaningfully in the task. So it's not about differentiation. It's about recognition of the individual. The game plan includes zone of proximal development. So we want to identify the kids who will already know this stuff 
and then in identifying them to identify the tasks and the ways that we can engage them in a way that will still be meaningful and, 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 you know, make their time in class worthwhile. We want to identify the students who are going to struggle with this because they conceptually aren't at a place to understand the level of content that you're delivering. And then the third part that we want to identify in the game plan is who are the kids that are in my class that I that I that I struggle relationally with, and that tends to be the ones that have the behavioural issues. But the identification of those students with sort of techniques on on what we can do to to help them in their journey and bring meaningful engagement for them is is a really important step that as a teacher we need to really consider and one of the things that we've put this in place is we found that when someone's misbehaving in a class it's usually because we think that they're misbehaving because they're naughty and they've got discipline problems but quite often the students are bored or don't want to show that they don't understand what they are doing in class so they find ways to distract their behavior from a learning outcome perspective um, the other thing that's been really, really, really good with that is simply that if if a team leader, um, I don't know what you'd call the equivalent like a supervisor or the next tier of that teacher, um, is engaging with the teacher around a student that's not engaging in class and misbehaving, the first question that is always asked is, what is the game plan for the student? And so we go back then to the paper and go, oh, actually, we haven't got a game plan for Sean. Okay who has seen a lot of success with Sean, let's go see what their game plan is and let's bring that into your class and let's see how we can see meaningful engagement. So there's a couple of tools we use. I'd say that's the most effective one that we've got in play at the moment about ensuring every student is recognised for where they're at and engaging in a place where they can lead into meaningful engagement and therefore less behavioural issues and uh, you know higher outcome for them in the class. Yeah, what I love about that is you're giving teachers tools, going back to your coaching background with the game plan, that helps see what assets the kid brings and what assets are in the classroom around him or her to engage so that that student can become more of who they're created Mm. to be. Now, you also do a lot with technology. And I think Mm. when we were talking in Australia, you were putting together a talk for your church, I think. Uh, about artificial intelligence and we're tapping into using some of that. I'd be curious to know how that went and then how you're using some technology to enhance these game plans to better engage students, not to further distract them, which technology can do, but how do you use that for deeper, meaningful engagement? So you can think about artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence or any technology tools in general. Yeah. Oh, look, the AI conversation that we had with them was just simply, I mean, it's, a, it's an age-old conversation that you'd have with the church congregation around the difference between knowing about something and knowing something. You know, we, we, we talked about the difference of, you know, artificial intelligence is never going to be saved because it doesn't have a soul. But artificial intelligence can know about creation. It can know about a God that loves them and it can know about um, the, the, the salvation story. But it's never going to be saved. And and for us, and we sit in our seat and we go after we go to church to be patted on the back and, and congratulated for the things that you already know about the scripture, and you walk away going, oh, I didn't learn anything today. I already knew all of that. But it's not it's that place where in church, do we go to church like we do to a conference where you 
um, pull out your notebook and you, you're wanting to know this new thing and you're expectant when you go to a conference that something is going to happen that is going to change your profession and, and the way you do your profession. But at church, I think we've come to this artificial intelligence place where we may as well just be asking chat GPT to answer questions around the Bible story rather than it being an emotive place that we go and we we internalize and we chew on it and we and we put some human element behind the information that's been poured into us. Well, and so I think of AI as being the consensus of whatever the best thinking in that knowledge that it's gleaning, scraping from the language model that it's in so it can give you consensus and it can summarize and synthesize things Mm. really well but what's missing is wisdom and to me isn't wisdom the goal of education that we want students to become Mm. all they're created to be in order to do that they have to be Mm. meaningfully engaged so that we can give them wisdom for how how to improve and they can begin to approach things with that wisdom as opposed to what chat gpt can do which is a useful tool finding the consensus Mm. you know it's an it's a very advanced form of search but it can't replace thinking which i think to your point as christian educators we need to be really good at helping our students engage the world around them with love compassion and wisdom and we can't rely mm. on chat GPT. And we certainly shouldn't be turning our human interactions into what you just described, which is something that chat GPT could answer because we have to bring our full human selves to that. Do you agree with that distinction between wisdom and consensus? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. And that, 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 I think, is when you, you boil down what I was talking about to the congregation at that time was just that challenge behind we've got to we've got to pull away from knowledge and move into wisdom as you i didn't use the word wisdom but that's exactly what the point was and wisdom doesn't come from just hearing stuff it comes with wrestling with points of view and wrestling with my motive state in that so yeah 100 agree with you and and we don't I mean, we talk about it often we just had graduations this week because we finish at the end of the calendar year and um, we were talking about the difference between if you come to our school and all you do is you leave with a knowledge of Christ, we have failed you because a knowledge of Christ isn't the end goal, but a relationship with Christ and knowing Christ and knowing what he has done and believing as opposed to just knowing of is, is super important. So. 100% agree with you that wisdom. Can I push back then to the technology side of things and what we do with that? Sure, definitely. Technology, I think, has a really important part to play in educating students for the future that they're going into. And we do need to teach our students how to use it wisely. Um, and I am not a, a principal or a head of school that thinks that we should have technology in absolutely everything. So we have a framework around that. And I don't know if you're um, familiar with Ruben Pendadura's SAMA model. Yeah, so, that's great. Uh, great model. Yeah, so he talks about the difference between using technology for substitution, augmentation, modification, and then redefinition. And and for us, we've paired that with the different ways we use technology in the school. So essentially, we've created a matrix, and and we look at how do you use technology to content to create content, how do you use technology to consume content, how do you use it for communication, and how do you use it for concept reinforcement. 
And, and then when you look at each of those elements and then you pair it with the SAMA model, it helps us use technology when it makes a difference and it adds value rather than just because it's sitting there. Um, there's a really important place for handwriting. There's a really important place for reading from paper. So if you're, for example, using technology for the consumption of content, so you want a student to read something and to internalize new information, if all you're going to do is to uh, send them a PDF to read from, give them a piece of paper because there's something different about them engaging in paper. But if you're going to have them consume information, where's the videos that that unpack things in a different way? How do you take the internet and make it smaller for them so that they're not getting lost? And how do you find the, the best five websites that they can use to understand the multiplication of matrices, for example, rather than going, okay, we're using technology. If you want to learn about multiplying matrices, off you go research something. And they get lost and they find something that's not quite right, not quite true, and it becomes a, a hindrance to their journey. And likewise, for the content creation side of things, if, if all we're going to do is to get the students to use technology to type, use pen and paper it's really important to use pen and paper it does something with your brain the left brain right brain is that fine motor schools if you're going to use technology to create a new audience so so for example a, a big example for this is we've just released three songs from our school on spotify we have a, a new music brand that we've created called hamilton christian school worship and the the songs are doing really well now we didn't do it just because we thought there was a gap in the market for worship songs for us, we've got students who are building um, in their confidence in writing music uh, and songs, and we've got confidence in our students' instrument and, and how they're doing with that. We wanted to create a legitimate platform for them to take their skills and create content that would be meaningful for people, but to set the bar nice and high for them to go, well, you can't just slap together a song and put it on youtube or onto spotify or onto apple music so so we've created this this album we've got three songs that have been released this um last few weeks and we've got five more to come out this year before the end of the school year but the kids the students are so engaged in it because it's not just doing music class it's them creating content that they think may help someone through a hard time because it's speaking about the truths of the gospel so that's also incorporating within that an authentic task around what Christian education is. It's not, um, I like to refer, and, and so I'm pushing into some Christian education stuff, but we're not about um, education with the side of Jesus. It's it's this whole incorporation and, and immersion of who Christ is and, and the truth of the gospel and having our students to recognize and, and view that in all aspects of learning. No, it's so I've just great. touched on two of them. Just touched on two of them, but it's, it's if you're going to use technology, don't just use technology for the students to read a PDF about musical instruments. Use technology in a way that makes a huge difference. It all goes back to the conversation we were having about wisdom, and so wisdom mm. requires a soul, and a soul intuits a creator. And so if you're going to ground education in something meaningful, it's not a side of anything. It's at the core yeah. of who we are because we're created beings. And so the SAMR model or using, and, and again, you're differentiating between digital technology and technology, because again, technology is any tool 
that helps you do whatever it is you're trying to do. So a pencil and a pen and a piece of paper, that's technology. Those are tools that help you. We've now created this delineation mm -hmm. between digital technology and other forms of technology when in reality, all of it, all of technology is or should be, is a tool to help us access wisdom through being mm. better able to interact with the world and the people around us. So as insofar as any form of technology helps with that, that can be a gift. When it begins to erode the ability to do those very human things, that's a problem. And what I loved about what you described with the music that you've just put out is the most, in, in the way I think about engagement, I think of it in those four C's, and the fourth C is creation. When we get to where we're creating, that's when we are deeply engaged because that taps a, a very human, God-given part of who we are that then for mm. teachers to give feedback, it becomes a lot more meaningful because it's something that we care about. It's not, oh, here's my multiple choice test that I turned in, how many did I get right? That's fine for just knowledge acquisition, but if we want to actually give meaningful feedback, so I, I think of feedback as purpose-driven wisdom for growth, that requires mm. meaningful content creation, which is what your students are doing when they create the music. So um, what in New Zealand, is there anything distinctive about New Zealand or the culture that you've built in the Christian schools you work with or New Zealand as a, as a country that you feel are advantageous that places in the United States could learn from? You've spent time in the U.S. Are there things mm. that you think we really need to be paying attention to that we're missing? I mean, I can tell you about some of the things I enjoy about the New Zealand system and just to maybe qualify it. I taught in uh, in England, so I've taught through some English um, curriculum. And I also taught in the Cayman Islands for three years, which was through the Ibeka system and, a, and, and an American system in that sense. So, um, and I remember sitting in, the, in a meeting one time and uh, the principal of the school uh, made this great big statement that, you know, the, the American... Uh, we're talking about curriculum and, and he made this uh, clangor of a statement saying that the American curriculum is the best curriculum in the world, clearly. And then we're like, oh, what were the other curriculums you're aware of? And how did that work? And I wasn't, I wasn't agreeing or disagreeing. I was just like, how well, is that a comparative statement or is it the best one you've ever used? Because that's quite different, right? So anyways, I'll... I'm not I'm not qualifying anything there. I'm just saying, okay, that's I will say what I like about the New Zealand curriculum. The New Zealand curriculum is built off competencies and concepts, which I really like because it gives the teacher a lot of free will on how they design lessons for students to understand their concepts, because a concept is often content uh uh, context free you can you can look at those concepts through the context that your students will engage in so the whole process we have a learning design process at our school every teacher should be able to qualify like what does our student need what does each student need to learn now what is the best way to get them there and how will we all know they got there like that, that those are three big questions that we throw around with our staff all the time but we have the freedom to do that because we're just building on concepts after concepts. And, and I'm not sure that that's if the American curriculum would be as free as that. Well, some areas are moving to that because the U.S. is so differentiated by state. And then mm -hmm. you have different you know, charter schools, public schools, independent schools. So I think there is a movement toward this competency-based curriculum. But I think maybe New Zealand's a little bit further ahead on that. But yeah, continue. 
Yeah. And then uh, we've had a lot of freedom around how we design our classroom spaces. So, so in the New Zealand system, a real brief overview, we have three types of schools in New Zealand. We have our full public schools. We have our full private schools and in between we have a hybrid view a hybrid school called an integrated school which is an amazing place for a christian school and i know that there'd be a lot of people quite uh, envious to hear that for me all of my staffing and all of my operational costs are paid with taxpayers money and i get i get funded that exactly the same as the school down the road what we don't get funded from the government is for buildings and that payoff allows us to have what they call a special character and that is to immerse our curriculum in, in truths about who god is and so it's quite an um an unbelievable place to think that my teachers and myself get to come and work in this ministry and have great holidays let's face it they are great holidays uh and it's all done on taxpayer money so mm. um, thank you government so we've yeah. had a lot of freedom within our schools to, to look at classroom environment so we've been able to design uh, the environment in quite a way that's in a way that's quite different to what i grew up in where we had 66 square meters uh i'm not sure how big that is in, in your space but one class with four walls and a teacher and we were sentenced to that teacher for the whole year if we if we liked the teacher next door because they were sporty and i stuck with the musical person um it was too bad that's your year sentence and you have to see that through um, so we've been able to design our, our learning environments around what we call villages. And so we have in, in our spaces, we have six spaces, four classroom spaces, two breakout spaces. And the way we've designed them is, is not a single one of them is the same size because we don't want to divide our learners by um, a numerical formula. We want to look at what engages them. So when we look at you know, a concept that we might be learning around science, we would create context for the same concept that would engage students in different ways and then they can opt into it so we can then have one class that might have 35 students and then two classes they might have 16 but it works out in the wash because they're engaged in the context uh and they want to be there as at least a more meaningful engagement so i think that might be a little bit different we we have a very much collaborative view of how we plan it we've got a, a structure again a four-step plan that works to make that meaningful and make sure that we consider all the learners and then we sit back into the game plan and go have we have we got everyone who needs to be paid attention to do we have a plan around them yeah i, I say those are the two so environment so space and and the actual curriculum is a great curriculum we we can contextualize the goodness of who god is into the concepts we don't have a really rigid uh you must teach for this content this content this content and then test if they remembered it on friday and then come back and rinse and repeat well we're going to jump into our lightning round here in just a minute but i did have to say two quick observations i love that idea of schools as villages that's a very human way of looking at what we do and leans into the relational aspect of what schools should be about so love that the second thing is i don't think i've ever it's been a while at least since i've heard anyone in the usa thank you government and so i just want to point out that you said thank you government in that so uh well yeah. done that's encouraging so lightning round these questions if you can answer in a word phrase or a sentence that's good we'll test your ability to do this because some of these are no. somewhat big questions but uh first question what's the best book you've read in the last year could be education related or something else the culture map okay who wrote that oh gosh i can't remember lynn swan put me on to it but it's brilliant i'll give you a synopsis 
Uh, yeah. We all receive information in different ways, and 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 it's quite generalised around country and ethnicities. Um, but let's say some countries you have to wrap bad information or or growth information around a lot of positives, and and some countries when you hear that all you hear is the positives and not the negative. But if you don't wrap the net, you know, if you don't wrap the negative information around. Yeah, some countries they just want to be told. Like, if there's a problem, just tell me what it is. Um, otherwise, they they take all the. That's a very brief sort of how we communicate and how we receive information from different cultures. The culture map. Yeah, that's by Aaron Meyer. That's outstanding. Yes. So yeah, fascinating uh, premise there. Love that. I have not read it. That's on my list now. So thank you. Best piece of advice you've ever received as an educator. Uh, you don't have to like all your kids, but you have to love them all. That's good. Love it. Worst piece of advice? As a school leader, can I talk about a mindset rather than a worst mindset that I have seen? That's great. Um, that, and you've got this in your podcast, Act Justly, Love Mercy, and Walk Humbly with the Lord, that as a Christian school, we should act justly with the kids, um, have mercy with the teachers, and then together the school will walk humbly with the Lord. Huh. Interesting way to to separate that out. Um, mm. That's interesting. Okay, okay. Then, uh, what makes you most concerned about education that you see in New Zealand? Where Where is your biggest? Uh, maybe keeps you up at night. If anything keeps you up at night, uh, I think it has to be quality quality teachers. Ah, yeah. We were just talking before we got on about you know finding. Mm people to build the team and you're happy with the team you've built but how do you keep that team going especially as you raise up leaders where do you find the people that step in and take on those mm. as people move to other places good what makes you most encouraged or what are you most hopeful about as you look at education in new zealand we are we still got a lot of freedom so so we can shape and we've got some good thinking going on in the background so uh, what gives me optimism is that we're raising good thinkers and and from a christian school perspective what i'm most excited about is is we used to have a real deficit mindset around why we existed so you know christian schools why do you go to a christian school because they don't do this or because they don't get taught this or they don't there's a lot more clarity around why we exist the the promises and the, the the positives that we bring to community and society and to students so we're able to articulate and as we articulate the good things that we do and why we exist rather than the the, the negative the deficit sort of vision i think we're going to grow and get stronger and stronger and do those good things even better and better that's a beautiful vision well sean and thank you for being with us today I look forward to getting to New Zealand at some point and seeing some of these amazing schools and the work that you do, but we appreciate the time and the good work you do. No problem, and thank you for having me on board. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sean as much as I did. I've learned so much already just in hearing about the work that is going on in New Zealand, and I'm so encouraged by that. I'm also excited that I'm going to get to go and visit some of these schools that Sean is talking about. I wish all of you could come with me and we could take a tour of the Shire and New Zealand, but uh, I will try to capture as much as I can and share as much as I can learn. It is a huge blessing to be in other parts of the world and learn how good work is happening in the profession that makes all others possible. Have a great week. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership.